The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel created by Mercedes Lackey and Steve Livy. Presenting Book Two, The Hunt, Bad for Good, written by Mercedes Lackey, read by Veronica Jaguer. Miss Parker, you must be getting at least as tired of this as I am, but unfortunately you seem to have violated the safety officer's directive again. Yankee Pride glared at Bella. She shrugged. I was with a Mach 1 and two Mach Ops and they lost control of the situation, she replied. I restored it. I'm supposed to maintain a safe zone, right? Yes, but... And you would agree that a goon in cyber armor cobbled together from the bits he snagged from the Nazis and stuff in his garage running rampant through five corners is not safe, right? Yes, but... And he managed to knock Corby out in the first ten seconds, ran Silas up a tree, and had Granger peeing his pants. And there was no backup. Dispatch said so. The SWAT sniper squad was stuck on the other side of the destruction corridor, and that assumes they would have found a chink in that armor when they finally did get there. If they got there, which was looking dubious. She kept a deadpan expression on her face. I saw he was wide open telepathically, and I dealt with him. End of story. You hit him! With a psionic blast that put him into an epileptic fit, yeah. You walked up to him, and... From behind. Whatever he was using for an HUD and scanner sucked. Anyone could tell that he had about a 30% straight-ahead vision, no rear and no peripheral. That's how Corby got on top of him in the first place. She glanced over at Corby, who was in rather better shape after her psychic healing treatments now that he had been, when the goon had thrown him into a building. I'd have had him if the taser hadn't malfunctioned, Corby grumbled. Piece of shite. Yank, if you're going to expect me to be getting physical, you've got to give me better equipment. I'll discuss that with you later. Yankee Pride turned back to Bella. You walked up to him, put your hand on him, and you hit him. I'm a touch telepath if you want reliable. Bella sighed. I've told you that before. After five feet, things get weaker. After ten, dicey. And after that, I don't care about that. You hit him. You're the safety officer. Yada, yada. Healers don't hit. She returned his outraged glare. You're too used to Einhorn who'd rather cry and hope that the big bad man's folds. Who else was going to? You had an out-of-control situation. I controlled it. Like I was supposed to. Protect the civilians. Right? She's got a point, mate, Corby said laconically. You stay out of this. Yankee pride, Bella thought, was starting to unravel. Her mind flashed to a sign that Ramona had taped to the door of the former janitor's closet she was using as an office. We, the unwilling, led by the unknowing, are doing the impossible for the ungrateful. We have done so much for so long with so little that we are now capable of doing anything with nothing. Echo was in a siege mentality, and for pride, that meant stick to the rules no matter what, because that's all we have left. And Bella was violating the rules with practically every breath she took. Echo healers do not operate offensively. New Echo personnel do not live off the campus. Echo healers do not practice medicine on citizens without a license. Yeah, that'll work. She already had her eye on an apartment near that little magician. 
She was operating a roving free clinic out of a van of one of some hippie commune that was going into the hoods and helping people set up gardens and distributing anything they could get their hands on. And she was about to violate another one. Echo personnel do not take outside jobs. Because she had been offered some modeling gigs and by God she was taking them. It was good money for standing around in sexy underwear, drinking milk, and eating meal bars. Word of the Harper shoot was out and the calendars were already getting pre-orders. Anyone in that shoot was getting offers. Bella's grandparents had worked with Oppie, and the whole family knew that a brilliant career could be shot down by a single high-placed enemy with a grudge. That six-figure echo salary was mostly going in the bank, and the modeling money would be going in there with it. She was not going to get used to the high-flying lifestyle that others seemed to take as a matter of course. "'The rules ain't working, mate,' Corby persisted. Yank very nearly exploded at that point. "'That's not your call. That's not my call. We follow the rules.' "'Yeah, yeah,' Bella muttered. "'I was only following orders.' Fortunately, Yank didn't hear that, though Corby did, and smirked. "'The rules are there for a reason, Parker,' Yank was saying, losing the miss now. You safety officers get involved in combat, you make yourselves targets, you make your patients targets, and if you go down, who's going to protect the civilians and keep the team on its feet? And when none of the team is on its feet? She wasn't giving an inch on this one. Lost Wages FD didn't tie the hands of its paramedics when they went into a dangerous part of town. If you wanted to carry, and you got the permit, you were allowed to carry on the job. Bella's hammerless forty-five was in her luggage, and when she got her own apartment, it would be in her headboard. When the rest of the team is outgunned and outmanned, you still want me to sit on my hands? Damn it, Yank! The fire department let me carry a gun as a paramedic! You don't want me using powers? Fine! Then let me pack heat! Safety officers do not act offensively! He was on his feet and yelling. Then make me something other than a safety officer! She shouted back. They glared at each other for a good minute before Yankee Pride threw up his hands melodramatically and marched out. She stared after him sourly. She hadn't won, and she knew it. The apartment was good-sized and a great deal. The building was old and it was in the blue-collar part of town, but it came with appliances and some furniture, there was cable and cable net, and... Bella stared at the socket in the wall. Is that a T1 line? The super made a face as if to say, Hell if I know. That's what I'm told. Little gal next to you, uh, the writer, had it put in a good while back. Asked for permission, owner said that if she put it in her own place, she had to put it in everyone else's. She didn't bat an eye. I guess those romances pay good bucks. Either that or she's got connections. There was definitely way, way more to Vicky Naj than met the eye. I'll take it. She signed the lease and wrote out a check for the first month plus deposit then and there. In fact, can I take it now? On the off chance that she'd be able to get a place today, she'd loaded everything she had brought with her in the echo van she had borrowed. The super shrugged. The utilities are on. The companies are saying that they want people to do stuff over the net instead of trying to come in. If you got a credit card and can make deposits? Within 15 minutes of plugging into that T1 line, Bella eyed it with greed. I'll help y'all unload. 
Shortly, the living room was full of boxes and bundles, the super had a $20 thank you, and Bella had a new home. She took off from unpacking just long enough to get the van back, and she got a break on that. One of the mock-ops she worked with was just coming on shift and needed it, and was willing to come there to pick it up. Easy peasy. The good thing about being a meta, they all seemed to have some slight component of super strength and endurance. By sunset, Bella had everything unpacked, the boxes broken down, and her own bed with the NASA foam mattress made up and ready to sleep in. Now, all she needed to do was find the laundry room. Down in the basement, laden with basket and soap, she pushed at doors until one gave. Victoria jumped back against the wall with a screech that was not quite covered by the sound of the washing machines. Whoa! Bella dropped the basket and put out both cans placatingly, and concentrated on putting out a soothing vibe. It's just me. I'm your new neighbor. Thanks for the T1 line, by the way. Vicky's pupils were as big as coat buttons and she was shaking. And for once there weren't any gloves on her hands. Bella deliberately did not look at them directly, but she had excellent peripheral vision and what she saw definitely gave her food for thought. The skin was scar-seamed and shiny. She knew that look. Burns. Bad ones. Things began to fall into place. She wondered how much Echo knew. Steady. Deep breaths. You know the drill, right? The tiny blonde nodded, and without taking her eyes off Bella's, began taking deep, shuddering breaths. Slowly, her pupils contracted. Slowly, she stopped shaking. Finally, she peeled herself off the wall. You're... my neighbor? Right next door. I'm pretty sure our bedrooms share a wall. I don't snore. Vicky managed a ghost of a grin. As long as you don't get into knockdown drag-out fights with your boyfriend. Or at least, if you do, I get the right to record everything you say and use it in a book later. Bella rolled her eyes. Now I know why that apartment was going cheap. Okay, since I don't have any boyfriends, done deal. It's worth it for the T1 line. She kept her tone light. Vicky V had had a very rough time of it from the look of things. Panic attacks that fierce when coupled with obvious burn scars and severe body shyness. Well, it was safe to assume whatever did that to her wasn't the common garden variety of domestic violence that Bella was so familiar with from the ambulance runs. Maybe someone decided to burn the witch, she thought, with a shudder that she took care not to show. At a very young and impressionable age, she had watched Bergman's The Seventh Seal, and the image of the young woman being burned for heresy still came back to haunt her nightmares. And certainly Red Savior seemed only too willing to take that route with Vicky. Anyway, I am all moved in, so don't freak when you hear someone next door. And I sing, so if I get too loud, don't hesitate to bang on the wall. She grinned. Sorry about barging in like that. I figured it was Friday night. Who'd be doing laundry? The person who has panic attacks leaving her apartment, Vicky responded with a bitter-sounding laugh. Who else? Time for a peace offering. Look, if you've decided to try and beat this thing, you go, girl. But it doesn't have to be all at once. I can do your shopping for you, and I can do your laundry when I do mine. 
How much stuff can two women filthy up in a week anyway? Bella grinned. Save your strength for the battles that count. Don't wear yourself out in the skirmishes. Vicky looked at her, dumbfounded. I... I'm not sure what to say. Say thank you, Bella. Then go upstairs. I'll babysit your underwear. I owe you that much for scaring the way out of you. The blonde let out her breath in a long sigh that seemed to let a lot of the tension out of her as well. Thank you, Bella. De nada, Bella replied with a casual wave of a blue hand. As Vicky scuttled out, she loaded up the other two machines and made herself comfortable, propping up her feet and sticking her MP3 player earbuds in her ears. Then she opened the book she had brought with her. Dorothy L. Sayers' Gaudy Night Never Got Old. The Hog Farm Commune had been established back in the 60s. Forty years later it was, somehow, still going strong. Perhaps it was the ethic, perhaps the fact that the founders managed to embrace every alternative lifestyle there was without making anyone feel excluded or picked on. It had branches all over the country, although its head and home were in Mendocino County in California, and one of those branches was outside of Atlanta. Red Earth Hog Farm had been, no surprise there, completely untouched by the Nazis. And in the tradition of hog farmers everywhere, even before the last of the fires had been extinguished, hog farmers had loaded up their psychedelically painted vans and headed for the inner city, laden with food and help. Hard as it was to imagine when you looked at the destruction corridors, life for the wealthy had gone pretty much back on track by this time. In the gated communities, in the suburbs, the grocery stores were being supplied again with most of what people had come to expect and plenty of luxury goods. In the hood, grocery trucks were coming a lot less frequently, even to the big chain stores. Plenty of people were cut off from those by destruction corridors, and as for the mom-and-pops and corner bodegas that people depended upon, as might be expected, the chains got first priority, which didn't leave a lot of deliveries for them. And those for folks that once had decent jobs, sad to say, a lot of them didn't anymore. Or couldn't get to them. Which meant no money anyway. Hog farmers to the rescue, with food, anything else they could scrounge up that might need passing out, and with tools and expertise and seeds to help people turn lots into gardens. Bella knew all about the hog farmers from her parents, who'd been activists in the 60s. As soon as she knew they were in the hoods, she signed up as a medic. Or actually not signed up as such. The farmers weren't big on paperwork and paper trails, and technically she was practicing medicine without a license, as if any of those doctors in the AMA would be caught within a mile of these neighborhoods, much less treat people for free. No, technically she was along to guard the food. And if people happened to get better when she was around, well, wasn't that a miracle? Praise Jesus. She was very careful not to keep anything desirable in her little jump bag on these jaunts. Nothing expensive. In fact, nothing a school nurse wouldn't have. And dear God, no drugs of any kind. And she and the farmers were very clear about that to everyone that came looking for medical help. Just as she was very clear that there were some things she could not help with. Recent injury, most disease, yes. Cancer? Maybe. Genetic defects? Old injuries healed wrong? Heart disease? Diabetes? There were a lot of things she just couldn't do anything about, though it made her want to cry or throw things when she had to turn people away. Echo would have had a fit had they known about this. She was already doing long shifts, they all were. 
but she had never needed much sleep, and this... this was important. But it seemed that not everyone had gotten the memo about what she didn't carry. Bella was just packing up her bag, and Zeke, Moon Fairy, and Brown Derby were folding up the cardboard cartons, now empty, that had held the diapers the commune made from discarded t-shirts, and the cans of formula and condensed milk. This one had been a special baby run scheduled ahead of time. A lot of moms here had been caught short by the invasion. They were used to running to the bodega for disposable diapers, and most of them had never seen a cloth diaper until now. Bella had her hands full with unhappy babies of all shades over the past hour. She'd had to keep a firm rein on her temper a time or two, when it was obvious that some of these women were keeping fretful kids quiet by feeding them booze. But she had a canned answer for that, one she'd gotten from another of the paramedics in Vegas. "'You know how you feel with a hangover? Well, that's what your kid has. A spoonful is a lot of liquor for a baby, and giving it to him to quiet him down is only going to give him a hangover when he wakes up. Then you get to listen to him cry for a whole day, instead of only an hour.' She was thinking about the kids as she packed up, satisfied that she had done just about the best that she could, when suddenly that silence descended that made all the hair on the back of her neck stand up. She finished packing her bag, and only then did she turn around, slowly. Six of them, all buff, all packing. And oh, how she regretted that her forty-five was still in the headboard. "'What you got in the bag, bitch?' "'The leader. "'Oh, she got bad, bad vibes from him. "'There was something very cold about his eyes. "'Whatever was looking out of them was not even remotely human. "'Before she could reply, he jerked his head at one of his boys, "'who snatched out of her hands. "'Out of the corner of her eye, she could see Moon Fairy, "'who had his cell phone out, dialing 911. "'But help was not going to come very soon, if at all.' "'Please don't do that,' Zeke said carefully. "'All we're carrying is diapers and baby form—' "'The thug had already emptied her bag on the ground "'and was pawing through it, looking for drugs. "'What he found was her speculum, blood pressure cuff, stethoscope, "'packets of bandages, tongue depressors, swabs, "'sample tubes of ointment, alcohol wipes, plastic gloves, and not much else.' "'Where's the stuff, bitch?' The leader smashed at her instruments with his boot. Ointment squirted out of the mashed tubes. "'Please don't do that,' Zeke said again. "'We don't have drugs. Miss Parker is a meta. She—' "'I wasn't talking to you.' The leader nodded at another of his boys, who backhanded Zeke into the side of the van. "'I asked you, Blue. Where's the stuff?' You crabhead hippies always have stuff. She shrugged. Couldn't tell you. Don't have any. Wrong answer. He grabbed for her. The instant he touched her, she knew. Knew that his boys were edgy from doing without. Knew that the hog farmer's usual please and thank you routine was not going to work knew that the hand clamping down on her bicep belonged to someone who had murdered over thirty people, all of them up close and personal, that he liked to kill, that he had never had any intention of going away quietly, even if he had gotten drugs from them, saw in his mind what he was going to do to her, then what he was going to do to the others, 
and then that he was going to take the last survivor, force him to drive the van full of his boys back to the farm, and what he was going to do when he got there. And there was never any question of what she was going to do. She let him haul her into his grasp, let him get his arm around her throat, let him get his gun to her temple. Then she reached inside his brain. And she ended him, with a dual jolt of psionic power to exactly the right places, paralyzing him, then short-circuiting his breathing center. He stiffened, unable to move, choking, dying as he stood there. She reached up and snatched the gun from a hand that couldn't stop her, ducked and writhed out of his hold even as he began a slow toppling to the ground, and whirled, training the gun on the one nearest Zeke. "'You want a piece of me?' she snarled, as they stared, first at her, then at their leader, on the ground, his eyes desperate but the light already starting to fade from them as he died by inches, suffocating. "'Didn't you Cretans pay any attention? I'm a meta, and I don't need this to kill you.' She tossed the gun into the van, where it landed with a muffled thud among the diapers. "'I can kill you by touching you. I can kill you without touching you.' She took one step forward, hand outstretched, mouth twisted into a savage parody of a smile. You want a piece of me now? The leader shuddered and died at her feet. And that was enough for the thugs. They scattered, running, pelting away from her, from the crazy metahuman as fast as their legs could carry them. She turned to the farmers. They all stared at her, wide-eyed. Zeke recovered first. What... What did you... Never piss off a healer, she said, hoarsely, feeling her gorge rise as her entire self revolted against what she had just done. We can fix you, and that means we can take you apart. Now, excuse me. She made a dash for the alley to heave up her guts again and again and again, and still she could not vomit up her horror and the sick loathing she felt for herself. The cops that finally arrived found her there, sagged against the brick wall, with her victim not ten feet from her. For being the subject of this hearing, Bella had been given remarkably little opportunity to say anything. Spin Doctor was handling most of it. All he required of her was that she stay calm and stick to the facts, the facts being what she had seen in the gang leader's mind. It was taking place on the Echo Campus, and not in a courtroom or a judge's office, because no one really wanted this to get out, or even rumors of it to get out. So, for the audience of a judge and the DA, first Zeke had testified for what the farmers had witnessed. Bella stated exactly what Spin Doctor had told her to, and then sat down. The judge looked at her skeptically. So, the claim is she read his mind, he demanded of Spin Doctor. "'That's what she does, Your Honor,' the Echo Meta replied, evenly. "'The validity of what a scion reads is already established in the courts.' The judge looked sour, but Spin Doctor was already handing him a fat file folder. "'Furthermore, preliminary investigation by the police, together with DNA and fingerprint matches, places the deceased at a scene of at least seven unsolved and very brutal murders,' 
three of them involving sexual assault. They expect more to come in as they search further back. So, what Belladonna saw in his mind is accurate. He raised an eloquent eyebrow. It appears she not only apprehended a serial killer, she prevented a massacre. Well, that's just it, isn't it? The judge growled. She didn't apprehend him. She executed him. Echo metas are authorized to use lethal force under the appropriate conditions. Spin Doctor could not have looked more bland. And what made this appropriate? The judge looked ready to explode, but he would not look at Bella. Oh, perhaps the gun to her head? Spin Doctor put both his hands on the table, leaned over, and looked hard at both the DA and the judge. Bob, give this one up. You can't win it, he said softly. The minute Ward gets out of the kind of animal she put down, and trust me, I will make sure that it does, you'll have people wanting to pin a medal on her, not lock her up. Look at her. She's a swimsuit model, for God's sakes. She was out helping distribute baby formula and diapers. No one is going to believe she's dangerous to the public. For the first time, the judge did look at her. Bella met his eyes steadily. He was the first to look away. All right, he growled. But keep a damned leash on her. He stood up, shoving away from the table, and stomped out, the DA right behind him. When they were gone, Spin Doctor turned to Bella, and his expression was not encouraging. Now, regardless of what I just did, you know, and I know, that you could have used less than lethal force. The thug would have been collected by the cops, he'd have been linked back to those previous crimes, and he'd have gone to jail for seven life sentences at least. Maybe I could have used sublethal force, Bella interrupted, feeling her face flushed. And maybe I couldn't have. And maybe he would have been convicted, and maybe he wouldn't have been. She stood up and faced the meta across the table. All I know is that he had a gun to my head, and what I saw in his mind. Spin Doctor frowned. It was obvious that he couldn't contradict her. It was also obvious that he didn't believe her. I appreciate what you did for me she said, holding back what she wanted to say. Even though what she had done still made her sick to think about, she would not have changed it. Where she came from, you didn't try to rehabilitate mad dogs. You shot them before they could bite someone. Dear God, how she sympathized with that Russian nutjob red savior at this moment. Spin Doctor nodded curtly and left her alone in the room. He didn't have to say, We'll be watching you. They both knew it. It didn't have to be said aloud. They'd given Bella two days off his medical leave. She was very tempted to spend it drunk. Instead, it occurred to her that it wouldn't be a bad idea to have a look-in at the CCCP HQ. She'd heard they were running a soup kitchen. Maybe they could use a street healer, too, for a couple days. <laughs>